The scripture is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 15. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, in these moments gathered around your word, would you please transform our lives by the gospel? Do that uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit in this place, in these moments, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Um, so uh, these verses, if you were listening, they're all about uh, showing respect, esteem, and honor to your pastors and your leaders in the church. And uh Wow, and Jesse's here today, and uh, you'd think he would have paid me or something to be preaching on these. Not the case, at least not yet, not the case. Um, but truthfully, I was, as I looked at this text um, this week, I was a little bit encouraged uh, to preach them, and then as the week went on, I was not so encouraged to preach them. They, it's a lot of imperatives, uh, a lot of commands here in Scripture, and it, it made me nervous a little bit. So thinking of leadership, thinking of pastors, leaders in, in the church context, that's what Paul's talking about here. Um, and Oh, and if you're new here, my name's Tom, and we've been walking through First Thessalonians for several weeks, and we have a few more sermons here. So if, if you want to kind of get the recap, there, the sermons are online. I'm not going to spend a lot of time now doing any recap, but the thrust of Paul's letter here is to prepare us for the return of Jesus. So if you don't know Christ, um, please come to him. And, if, you know, you, you need a Savior. I need a Savior. We all do. So Paul's thrust is always that we would be flying to Jesus because one day he's going to return and uh, gather his people. So that's the main thrust of Paul's letter. But in this last uh, final instruction, he's talking uh, to the church in Thessalonica about the leadership and how to show esteem and respect to those there. So as I've been a pastor or pursuing being in pastoral ministry since I, since I believe 1998, um, and I became an ordained pastor in 2003, um, you know, I... I feel pretty comfortable in church. I feel pretty comfortable as a pastor and a leader in general. Uh, and yet, uh, yesterday I was just asked to do a simple errand, which was to go in Trader Joe's and buy some berries. That was pretty much all I was asked to do. And um, couldn't get into the parking lot at all. Couldn't Ended up doing a U-turn where you're not supposed to. Broke about four other traffic uh, laws. Got into the store was sitting in the produce area, not sitting standing. And as you know, if you stand too long in Trader Joe's, you are in every single person's way. Of it. I mean, just, you totally bottleneck everything. I I could not find strawberries, raspberries, no berries. I couldn't find anything. Uh, I found, well, potatoes. I could find potatoes, some meats. I, finally, I had to ask somebody for help. And there are so many staff there. I'm so grateful. And I just went to the first person that had a friendly look on their face with a badge. 
And I asked where the berries were, and he said, I'm facing him, he said, right there. They were basically right behind me. So um, if you're anyone that is in leadership, it's a constantly humbling if you're asked to run an errand, uh, it's it's a humbling world we live in is all I'm trying to say. And for pastors and leaders in the church, it's a humbling place. And we're I, I just want to say for myself, we're always looking for the berries. We're always looking in the wrong places, and we all need to ask for help. So let me say that as a precondition for all that I'm about to say about leadership and pastors um, from Paul's writings here. We all need help, is what I'm trying to say. All right, so... Paul says that we are to honor, respect, and give esteem to our leaders and our pastors in the church. And he says why. And there's three reasons. If you're taking notes, there's three reasons why. One is, and I'm going to unpack them a little bit. One is that they're laboring. The second is that they're laboring in the Lord. And it's right from the text. And thirdly, they're admonishing and or uh, telling you to look out, if you want the alliteration of the L's, it's labor in the Lord and looking out. That's wh- why we should, according to Paul here, give honor, respect, and esteem in love and peace to leaders, pastors, elders in the church um, then and even today. So pastors, leaders, elders, those like Timothy, uh, and I, Paul has a context here. Um, he was encouraging the church there to think about the leaders like Timothy who were visiting, who was visiting. Timothy had issues as a pastor. Um, Paul had to write uh, to him to encourage uh, the church or to encourage Timothy not to let the church look down on his youth. You know, Paul was so Timothy needed uh, help constantly as a leader in planting churches with Paul. So the context here is is first Timothy um, and then other leaders that Paul was with as he planted churches. But we need to be respectful of pastors and leaders because, according to Paul, they are laboring. They are laboring in the church. Now, the Greek is a little helpful here, um, and it is that the labor is intense to the point that leaders in church contexts are sometimes suffering, uh, labor that leads to suffering. And that's what the Greek kind of um, bears out, is that it's uh, our Pastors and leaders and elders might be laboring to the point of suffering. Oh, and of course, Paul is assuming good leaders here um, to be respectful, honoring, esteeming the good. It's assuming good, godly, not abusive, horrendous, hurtful leaders. I mean, that, that's assumed that they're good leaders, um, that they're that they're doing what they should be doing. So they're laboring to the point of suffering. And you might be thinking, well, how, how exactly would a pastor, elder, leader in a church be laboring to the point of suffering? And, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind, I have some other examples, but I was already talking with Sammy this morning. We were praying together, and he was presiding over the service, and um, he'll probably hate that I'm saying this, but um, he's an elder here, and he was just reminding me that he's helping to preside over the service today. He's teaching in the children's ministry, and then he also leads a community group this, today, and he was like, you know, it's a three-hit today, you know. And obviously he's not suffering, but it's a lot on him today as a leader in the church. So even as he was talking about his day with me, I was like, got a lot going on today. Thank you for your leadership. Um, so he's laboring, just a great example. But to the point of suffering, um, you know, there is a burden. At, and you might think that even talking about this is self-serving for, for myself. Of course, might seem that way. Um, I already led with um, that I'm a complete wreck, even in Trader Joe's. So, but yeah, self-serving may be a little. Um, 
But the pastors that I know who are trying to love the the church well um, do tend to suffer with the burden of their leadership. Uh, it's something that you carry even if you go on vacation. It's something you carry even wherever you go. You're carrying the burden of the church and, and, and those in the church that you're serving and caring for. So there is a sense of suffering. I, I can remember when I was no longer in ordained, well, I'm in ordained, I wasn't in ordained ministry, a, a call, but I was, uh, sorry guys, I was a PhD student and I had left uh, my pastoral ministry for about five years, six years. And I can remember feeling unburdened as I was even on the plane flying overseas uh, away from the church that the, the labor was going to be different for the PhD than it was for leading in a church context. So there is a sense of laboring to the point of suffering. I can remember one of the first things that, uh, one of the first pastoral calls that I was asked to make uh, when I lived in paradise and pastored there. Um, a woman in the church who'd been there for the entirety of the church's life, um, she had gotten cancer and I was called to go sit with her in, in her home and I didn't know her very well and I was sitting with her as she was dying, and it was me and only her family. Why, why would I get this privilege? Why, why do I get this labor of love? But as I left, and even as I think about it today, it felt like suffering to me that I got to be there in this moment, but I also needed and had to be there in this moment. So, love, respect, show some honor and esteem to pastors, elders, leaders in the church, because they are laboring burden, perhaps, um, among you, even to the point of suffering. And in the Lord is the next piece, that they are doing this in the Lord. Now, our calling as pastors has to come from the Lord, and there, there have been people who come to me and said, uh, Tom, should, should I go into pastoral church ministry? And I say, always, if you can do anything else, please do that. Don't pastor. Um, it's a calling. You only want to do it if the Lord is calling you because absolutely our uh, labors are in the Lord. Which also means that if we're worried about pastors, elders, leaders in a church, of course if they're doing very abusive things, very um, egregious acts, we want to move quickly and deal with those things. But in general, God will take care of the pastors, elders, and leaders in the church who are doing things they shouldn't be doing because he has called them. He is capable of taking the wheel and taking care of all those who are in service in his church. But pastors, elders, leaders, they need to be doing it as unto the Lord in the Lord, not for themselves, um, not for the money, not for anything else. The Lord is the one who calls um, leaders. Um, in a church. And then lastly, why would you want to show respect, honor, esteem, and love and peace to your elders, pastors, leaders in the church? It's because they're the ones who are looking out for you and telling you to look out and or to admonish you. They're admonishing you. Um, so I've been doing CrossFit since 2017, and please stop talking about CrossFit. So first thing you learn about CrossFit is you never stop talking about it, and so I'd love to talk to you about it. But one of the things that I've seen over the last few years is that uh, most people are uncoachable. It, it's the truth. I mean, I, I've just seen it, and, and I'm not really coaching that much at all. I'm, I'm thinking of myself that when I'm at CrossFit doing a workout and a coach is literally telling me exactly what I need to do because they know me as an athlete. They know, they know me. They've been 
coaching me for two years, and I completely disregard everything they're telling me, whether it's to slow down or speed up or to do this or do that or drop their, you know, I, I literally just disregard them most of the time. And meaning that they're warning me, they're telling me to look out in some way, and I'm usually disregarding it. And I know they're training, I know that they know me, I know that they're trying to help me not get injured, on and on and on. So if in a silly context like CrossFit, most people are uncoachable, even when people are trained, they want to help you not be injured, they want to tell you what's going to make this work out for you, most people disregard it and just keep right on going in the, the path that they're on. It's the same in churches a lot of times. Church people, I'm a church people. I may be a pastor, but I'm also a church people. We're uncoachable a lot. It takes the Spirit of God. It takes the Scriptures. It takes all the means of grace to admonish us, to warn us, because we just don't want to believe anybody oftentimes. And again, I, I'm speaking for myself. Maybe I'm just projecting all that uncoachability onto you guys, do that kind of stuff all the time. I'm always projecting my garbage on other people. Um, that's my biggest thing. Um, but think about it. The last time someone really tried to give you a warning or an admonition, in love, it's hard, right? It's hard. It's hard to be told, Tom, you're too old to pick up that weight, so you should go down and wait. It's hard to be told the things that we probably know are true. Probably know that they're true, but it's hard to hear. So, just think about showing love, esteem, uh, love, respect, esteem for your leaders because they're laboring, maybe to the point of suffering, because we seem to be uncoachable in the Lord, and yes, they're warning us. So, that's we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you, over you in the Lord and admonish you, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love, fruit of the Spirit, because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, fruit of the Spirit. Verse 14, this is First Thessalonians 5, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, the next group, so talking to the leaders, pastors, and elders, those leading in a church context, and now Paul's turning now to talk to a whole other group of what I call difficult people. Now, these difficult people could be leaders. They could be the pastors, right? So that's why the title of the sermon is Leaders and Other Difficult People, perhaps. The, these could be the leaders in a church. These ones, these idle ones, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And we're going to unpack what Paul's saying in urging the church in Thessalonica to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. So these are the last three things to unpack. So how is it that we can... So we know what we need to do with leaders, pastors, elders, um, and why. But now how are we to help those who are struggling, those who might seem a little more difficult in the church? Paul says to admonish first the idle. The idle ones. So... The first thing I think when I think of a person who's idle is that they're lazy. Am I a boomer? Sorry. An idle, it just seems lazy. Like even, even now with cars that are new, if they're sitting at a traffic light, the engine turns off. I'm like so lazy. I mean, I know it's probably for the economy. I know, but like it's, it's not even idling anymore. It just turns off, you know? So to me, an idle person is somebody that's literally the engine's turned off and they're just, you know, Doing nothing. However, the Greek is also helpful here because an idle person, according to the Greek, is somebody that is not necessarily lazy, but uh, unruly. No one can have rule over them. 
they're unruly. Is that what you think when you hear somebody of somebody being idle, that they're unruly? Well, it makes sense if you look at Paul saying we need to give warning to those who are unruly. I am extremely unruly at times in my life. I don't like to be coached, apparently. Uh, I don't listen to coaches. And even when we have other elders and pastors and leaders talk, I mean, when I have them talking to me in my life, I want to already know that they're wrong or I'm looking for my own path, my own way. I mean, so we all, we all can be a bit unruly. Think about your life in the church. Think about those other leaders even that you work with in your spheres of ministry. Are you a bit unruly even in your leading group? So admonishing the idol here um, is not just going after lazy people. It's actually probably those leading who might be a little unruly. To encourage the faint-hearted, Paul says uh, we are to admonish and give warning to those who might be unruly and then encourage those who are faint-hearted. That makes sense. Somebody who's faint-hearted, we really want to encourage them. But a faint-hearted person is actually somebody who lacks, um, well, they're, they're actually a little bit cowardly. A faint-hearted person is like, uh, and I think the way, again, the Greek kind of helps with this, it gives the idea of in battle, a faint-hearted person looks at the enemy in battle and wants to retreat because they're faint-hearted. And what can happen, I don't know anything about battles, but I can just imagine that in a battle, if, if everyone seems faint-hearted at the enemy and I'm heading with them and then they're all sort of stepping back, I'm probably going to step back with them. Uh, Isn't there a thing going around in social media about if you're in a public place and then you act completely scared and freaked out over something that other people will get, right? Isn't there something going around about that? I mean, they're just kind of funny videos. Um, But you have to be careful. If you yell fire in a movie theater, you might get people murdered or killed from that. But the the idea is in here is that we want to encourage the faint-hearted who are backing away from risk, who are backing away from things that maybe they need to actually step forward on. And so, like in Deuteronomy, uh, there was a battle, and the faint-hearted were told to go home. If you're faint, if you're a little cowardly, if you're a little bit worried about what's coming, you might need to step aside, even go home and think it over. So this is this is helpful, right? That even in church ministry. Um, we can be risk averse. We can be very fearful of things to come, things that are happening, and back away in some way that would cause the rest of the church to do the same and maybe cause harm to the church. Right? It can happen. And I'm about to give an illustration where I kind of look good in it, So, um, and that's not like me. So uh, if you'll indulge me a second, I remember when, is that okay? I'm going to look a little okay in this illustration instead of being a complete idiot, and you all okay with that? Just, yeah. So um, I remember when I was pastoring up in Paradise, and I was probably getting... Um, I don't know, I get bored quickly, like about four years is my itch, according to my wife, and she's right. And I thought, we should plant a church in the neighboring town of Chico. Um, And 
right? Uh, why would we do? Yeah, why would we do that? We're a church of 250 people. We're in a very small town. Um, there's a lot of blue collar workers at our church. We didn't have tons of money on it. You're like, and this is the kind of message I was getting from lots of people in the church, including leaders who are like, "Hey, we can't plant a church. Well, we don't have any money. We don't. We can't do this." They were literally backing away, even though there were families driving up from Chico, the neighboring town, driving up to go to our church. Uh, Several families were doing that, Uh, even though I had already started driving around Chico looking for churches to maybe host us, asking pastors that happened to be on site if they would let us worship there for free. Can't hurt to ask, right? And But the the faint-hearted people in that scenario, there were lots of them. And again, including leaders in the church who were so risk averse that they were just stepping back. And, and I'm grateful that at least in that situation, I said, hey, some of you might need to just, you know, go home and that's fine. And we're going to keep talking about how God may want to do this. And he only can. And I'm really grateful to say by the grace of God. And of course, it was by the, the church's efforts that there's a church in Chico that just celebrated 10 years last year. So I'm grateful that I actually didn't listen to the faint-hearted people in the church at that moment as a leader. And trust me, plenty of other opportunities and times that I have, that maybe even myself, I've been a faint-heart one saying, hey, that is too risk-averse. I'm just very risk-averse. I don't want that. And it sounds very scary. So encouraging the faint-hearted could be saying, let's have some courage. Let's trust God. We don't see all the resources. We don't understand all what's going to be the ramifications or the outcomes. But we're going to trust God and the gospel to do great things, even though I feel scared, a little faint-hearted, that I could be encouraged by the gospel, that God could do great things. Okay, so Paul then says, for struggling, difficult people, admonish the idle, the unruly, encourage those who might... Uh, be lacking courage, and then help the weak, lastly. And do this with patience and to do them good. So helping the weak, what's, when Scripture says um, help the weak, who are the, what, where do you go in Scripture first when you think of that? I'll just tell you where I go, and you can think for yourself. I just immediately go to 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul's talking about the weak people in the church who couldn't eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, if y'all recall that. So Paul's saying, hey, you've got weaker brothers and sisters who cannot eat the meat, which is completely good, nothing wrong with it, it's, it's expensive, and we don't care about you know, those idols at all, we could eat that meat. So Paul says, those are weaker brothers and sisters who can't, so you stronger ones, you know, just let it go, it's okay. That's where I go, helping the weak, helping the weak by going, you know, it's okay. It's okay that you're weak. It's okay that you can't eat the meat that's sacrificed to idols. I won't eat it in front of you and make you feel bad or or jeopardize your faith in some way. This is all I want to say about this. Oftentimes, when I think about 1 Corinthians 8 and that whole scenario that Paul deals with, or even here, a very quick help the weak, oftentimes, we're the weak ones (laughs) in all the situations. Like, Every time that I'm in a situation where I'm going, oh, this is one of those weaker brother-sister situations, and I just need to be okay with, it's usually me that's actually the weak one when I really put it before God and start really thinking through the whole thing, I'm actually the weak one. So just be careful 
you know, helping the weak Maybe something that you would want to do is just run into each other as you're trying to both help each other because we all need help. We're all the weak-hearted ones at times having our issues with either meat sacrificed to idols or some other, that doesn't seem so simple, but it really is if you really think about it. We should be running into each other to help each other because we're all weak and in need of grace. So, really, this is all great and helpful. Of course, it is the Word of God. And even through my stumblings, it's super instructive. But the reason why I chose Psalm 23 to be the call to worship today is because the greatest leader that this church has, is it Jesse, is it Wade, is it any other former pastor, is it me as your interim, is it the elders who are serving, is it your children's ministry leaders, is it other leaders in CGs? I mean, they're all wonderful, called people. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd who knows how to take care of and admonish the unruly, to help those who are weak. He is the one who says, I'm your shepherd. In fact, if you want to turn to John 10 right now, let's just look at him saying that that very thing. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter this sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, the man is a thief and a robber. He goes on to say, The sheep hear my voice. Because he says, I am the great shepherd. John 10 is all about how he is the leader, how he is the one who cares for the weak, the unruly, the risk-averse, the faint-hearted, those, the enemies outside the gates, all of it. Jesus Christ is the one that we can look to. He is the one who created and sustains everything. He is the one who died, who rose again, who will come. He's the one that is taking care of you right now. He's holding every molecule of you together. He's holding your family together. He's holding everything. He's providing for you. He's doing all the things. It's Him, Jesus Christ. So don't let me muddle that. He is the one. He has greatly, greatly suffered, labored, so we should respect and esteem Him. He has been God in the flesh for his people. And he is constantly telling us to look out while he as a shepherd carries us as his sheep. Thank you for your kind attention. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we need you desperately. We need you to be our shepherd. Lord, would you have your way in this room, even in these moments, as we partake of the sacrament, as we think about our own leadership, as we think of the leadership here at IGC, would you do your work by your grace to continue to mold us and shape us into the very image of Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.